If you have your Bible with you today, I'd like you to open with me to the book of Judges in the Old Testament, if you would. We'll be in Judges chapter 6, and we will begin reading in verse 11 in just a moment. Judges chapter 6 and verse 11. And like we've done the last few weeks, we're going to look at a few different verses from a few different episodes in the life of one of the biblical characters. And today we're going to look at the life of a man named Gideon. Now, you may recognize the name Gideon, but you may not immediately because... We, 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 we know the name, but we may not immediately connect who he is with different things that happened in his life. So you may remember there was an incident with a man who, uh, who put out the fleece before God and, and trying to get confirmation from God, trying to get encouragement from him that, that the God was with him and so forth. That was Gideon. You may also remember a time when there was a man that had a, a great big fighting force, a great big army that he was leading, and God reduced that number down to just 300 men. That was Gideon as well. And so, so Gideon lived during the time, as you probably have surmised by the name of the book, during the time of the judges. Now you remember Joshua had led the Israelites into, the, the Canaan, uh, into Canaan, into the promised land, and they had, they had gone on the conquest. He died, and yet there was no human king. And so everybody just did whatever they wanted. Everybody just did whatever was right in their own eyes, the Bible says. And so, so what would happen is the, the people through time would fall into sin, God would punish them by sending another nation. He would allow this, some, some other nation, the Philistines, the, the Midianites, whoever it was, to come in and begin to oppress them and, and afflict them in, in various ways. After a while, they would eventually turn back to God. They would cry out to him for deliverance. God would send a judge. He would raise up a judge, a man who would, who would lead and deliver the people. They would do right for a while. They'd turn back to God. There would be national repentance. They would do good until the judge died. And then the judge was off the scene, so then the people would fall back into sin, and it would start that whole cycle over once more. So, where we pick up in the first part of chapter 6, God has given the nation of Israel over to a nation called Midian. And the Midianites were, were bad people. They would, what they would do is they'd wait till Israel had sowed their crops, and then they would, they would make a, a, a coalition with another nation, and they'd come in and, and make raids on the, on the nation. And they would destroy the, the, the crops. They would take a bunch of their livestock. And so Israel was brought very low very quickly. And they cried out to the Lord. This time is a little bit different from times previous, though, because God sent a prophet, and he called them to repentance, said, you guys have sinned against God. But there's, there's no repentance. Where we pick up in, in verse 11, there's no repentance. There's no national turning back to God. And yet, yet God graciously raises up a man named Gideon to lead and deliver the people. But he is not the hero that we might expect. So if you found Judges chapter 6 and are able to, I'd like you to stand in honor of God's word. Um, as, I, as we've done in the past, we're going to kind of jump through different episodes in his life, try to tie some of these things together. So if it seems a little disjointed, again, hopefully we'll tie them all up uh, later. Starting in verse 11, it says, Then the angel of the Lord came and sat under the oak that was in uh, Ophrah, which belonged to Joash, the Abizrat, you, you, you can see it, as his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress in order to save it from the Midianites. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O valiant warrior. Then Gideon said to him, O my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all the miracles which our fathers told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and has given us into the hand of Midian." The Lord looked at him and said, Go in this your strength and deliver Israel from the hand of Midian. Have I not sent you? He said to him, 
O Lord, how shall I deliver Israel? Behold, my family is the least in Manasseh, and I am the youngest in my father's house. But the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat Midian as one man. So Gideon said to him, If now I have found favor in your sight, then show me a sign that it is you who speak with me. Please do not depart from here until I bring back to you and bring out my offering and lay it before you. And he said, I will remain until you return. We're going to pause there and jump down to verse 25. Now, on the same night, the Lord said to him, Take your father's bull and a second bull, seven years old, and pull down the altar of Baal, which belongs to your father, and cut down the Asherah that is beside it. And build an altar to the Lord your God on top of, of this stronghold in an orderly manner, and take a second bull and offer a burnt offering with the wood of the Asherah, which you shall cut down. Then Gideon took ten men of his servants, and did as the Lord had spoken to him. And because he was too afraid of his father's household and the men of the city to do it by day, he did it by night. Jump down to verse 36. Then Gideon said to God, If you will deliver Israel through me as you, as you have spoken, behold, I will put a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. This is a text that you are probably familiar with. If there is dew on the fleece only, and it is dry on all the ground, then I will know that you will deliver Israel through me as you have spoken. And it was so. When he arose early the next morning and squeezed, and squeezed the fleece, he drained the dew from the, from the fleece a bowl full of water. Then Gideon said to God, Do not let your anger burn against me, that I may speak once more. Please let me make a test once more with the fleece. Let it now be dry only on the fleece, and let there be dew on all the ground. So God did so that night, for it was dry only on the fleece, and dew, and dew was on all the ground. Then turn over to chapter 7, if you would. We'll read uh, just a couple of verses there. Verse 9. Now the same night it came about that the Lord said to him, Arise, go down against the camp, for I have given it into your hands. But if you are afraid to go down, go with Pura, your servant, down to the camp, and you will hear what they say. And afterwards your hands will be strengthened, that you may go down against the camp. So he went down with Pura, his servant, down to the outpost of the army that was in the camp. Thank you. You may be seated. in our text today is back in chapter 6 and that is Gideon's question. Gideon's question. Now the text picks up with the appearance of a mysterious character that the Bible calls the angel of the Lord. We don't have time to go through all this um, today. That, that may be uh, a text or a subject for a different sermon. But, uh, but I believe it's pretty clear if, if you pay attention to the details that this is an appearance of Jesus before he was born in Bethlehem. Now you say, well, hold on, it calls him an angel, and the Bible is very clear that God is not, Jesus is not an angel. The word angel means messenger, and so he is, he is the messenger of Yahweh. He is the messenger of the Lord. Now, like I said, this, this may be a text for, or a subject for a different time. But anyway, the angel of the Lord shows up while Gideon is beating out the wheat in the wine press. Now, it doesn't seem like a big deal to us, but if we pause and think about all that, we've, all that I, I, I mentioned to you at the beginning, at the outset... And, and uh, some of the details, you'll see that this is actually pretty significant. Remember, the, the Midianites would come in after they had sown their, their grain, uh, sown their crops, and they would destroy the produce. So evidently, Gideon and his father have been clever enough somehow to raise a, a small crop. They, they've kept it safe. They've hidden it. They've done all these things. The Midianites have not destroyed it. So that is, that's significant. But it says that he's doing this in the wine press. Now again, to us, that doesn't, that doesn't mean a whole lot. A wine press 
was a, was a depression in the ground where they would take their grapes and they would harvest the grape juice and make wine out of it. That's not where you threshed wheat. That's not where you threshed grain. What they would do then is they would take it up, take the grain up onto the top of a hill. And they, they, there was kind of a, a, a round enclosure. It wasn't walled off, but there was a, a, a short wall. And they would take oxen with, with sledges and they would drag over that grain. It would separate the wheat from the chaff. And then they would use the breeze that is oftentimes blowing uh, across the tops of the hills to separate the, the chaff from the wheat. But notice he's not doing that. He's not working with oxen. He's probably using some kind of a stick or something to try and get this grain separated from the chaff. He's doing all this in secret. It's, 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 he's hiding out from the Midianites. Now, it's in this situation that the angel of the Lord shows up. And notice his greeting in, uh, in, in uh, verse 12. He says, The Lord is with you, O valiant warrior. Now, I've mentioned this before, but one of my profs in, in school used to say that Gideon was the Barney Fife of the Old Testament. He was the Barney Fife of the Old Testament. And he, I mean, you just think about Barney Fife. We've all watched Andy Griffith. And you know how goofy and, and how, how not valiant Barney Fife was. So just imagine somebody coming up to Barney Fife in Mayberry and calling him a valiant warrior. And that gives you kind of a picture of, of what's happening here. I can imagine that, that Gideon almost turned around to see who, he, who was being spoken to because it certainly wasn't him. He was not a valiant man. But listen, God was not looking at who Gideon was. He was looking at who Gideon could be with the Lord's help. He was not looking at who Gideon was on the outside. He was looking at who Gideon could be with the Lord's help, with his enablement. And listen, sometimes God will call us to do a certain thing and we're not up for the task. He, he sees us for what we can do and what we can be with his help. Maybe it's to start a ministry. Maybe it's to serve in some capacity. Maybe it's to, to go and witness to this family member or to this friend. Maybe it's to, to, to get us out of our comfort zone in, in whatever way it is. And we say, God, I don't know who you're talking to. It ain't me, though. I'm not a valiant warrior. I'm not, this, I'm not the type of person who can get up and, and speak to people. I'm not the type of person who can lead a ministry. I can't do any of that. Listen, God's not concerned with who we are on our own. He's concerned with who we are with his help. It's not based on us. It's based on him being with us. And notice Gideon's response. He asks a question. His question essentially is, where is God? Where's God? Now, verse 12, notice the details. He says, the Lord is with you, singular. He doesn't say the Lord is with y'all. He says you. But notice Gideon's response, verse 13. He ignores that and he applies it to all Israel. It's almost like he's saying, God's with me? He's not with me. He's not with any of us. He's not with the nation as a whole at all. Because if he was, we'd be having miracles happen. We'd be having him intervene in different ways. We've heard about all these things our whole lives. We've grown up just a couple generations after the people came out of the Exodus. They, they, they were the ones that walked through the Red Sea. They're the ones that had manna. And that was just a couple generations back. And yet we're not seeing the miracles. God's not doing it. In fact, God's abandoned us. He's given us over to the Midianites. Now that's my expansion of what he's saying, but that is, that's what he says. And the specifics are different for us. But this is a question that people of all ages have asked. Where is God? Now notice... It, it, and think about your own life. You've you probably asked that question. When do you ask that question? When you get a raise, do you say, where's God? 
Well, I, my, my kids are doing great. I'm healthy. I have a good job. Money's in the bank. I, I, haven't been, I haven't had to go to the doctor. I haven't had to go to the hospital. Everything's great. Well, where's God in that? Is that what you say? No, you say, oh, I'm experiencing God's blessing. When do we say it? When things are going bad. When, when things go, are, are upside down in our lives. That's when we feel like he's abandoned us. And that's when we begin to question God. That's what Gideon was doing. So the question is, where's God? The answer is, right where he's always been. He's, he's, been, he's on the throne, just the same as he always has been. Now, why were the people not experiencing the blessing of God? Well, earlier in chapter 6, actually, if, if you have chapter 6 open, hopefully you, you kept that open. We picked up in verse 11, look back up at verse 10. The prophet is speaking to the people. It says, um, And I said to you, I am the Lord your God, God speaking through the prophet. You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live, but, what? You have not obeyed me. They are experiencing this due to a punishment for their sin. And sometimes... We feel like God's being capricious. He's just choosing not to, not to intervene in our lives, not to do this or that. Sometimes it's because we've left Him. Sometimes it's because of our sin. Sometimes He kind of pulls back because of that. Not always. I mean, you think about the New Testament. Paul said, I was given a thorn in the flesh. And, and it, it was a messenger of Satan sent to buffet me. And he says that I prayed to the Lord three times for Him to remove it. But what did God say? My grace is sufficient. So sometimes God will use these times in, in our lives where He doesn't act immediately to teach us His grace is sufficient. But notice, notice also so some of the things that Gideon says, when you think about it and consider it, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And this is one of those times. He says, if God's with us, why isn't He, and I'm going to kind of paraphrase, why isn't He raising up a leader to deliver us? And what's the angel of the Lord doing? He's commissioning him to be a leader to deliver the people. God is in the midst of, uh, of this situation. He's not abandoning his people. He's actually acting in the time when Gideon is accusing him of not acting. So we have his question. And he, he says, verse 17, I, I want confirmation. I want a sign of who it is that's speaking to me. He gets that sign. He brings this big offering. The angel of the Lord touches the, the rock that's all set on with the, with the staff. It's all in, engulfed in flames. But second, I want you to see Gideon's fear. Gideon's fear. Now, what's interesting to me is just a, a week or two ago, I, I stood in this pulpit, and I talked about how, how one of the things that is pretty consistent with these heroes of the faith is how courageous they are. You look at him, you think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego as, as they're commanded to bow before the idol, and they say, we're not going to do it. God can save us, but whether he does or not, we are not going to serve your gods. And you look at that and you say, wow, boy, I wish I had that kind of, that kind of, ugh, you know. And, and you think about, you know, John the Baptist or, or Noah as, as he preached for 120 years, and, and, and nobody answered the call except for his family. And you think, what? What courage that, what to, that, that took. And you think about people like that. They're, they're brave. They're courageous. They don't back down. They have a, a backbone about 10 inches wide. You think, man, that's, that's awesome. They all must be like that. But then you look at Gideon, 
And here's a man who is, who is fearful. And personally, I'm, I'm inspired by those other people, but I can't identify with those people. Because I look at my life and I say, boy, I'm, I'm weak, I'm fearful, and Gideon is completely relatable. Because I look at, at his life and I say, yeah, I would probably be kind of wavering in my faith too. He's timid. So many times, and I know this is true of some of you because I've talked to you, sometimes we're warriors, not warriors. We're W-O-R-R, not W-A-R-R. We, we worry, but we're not ready for battle. And in, in this sense, like I said, Gideon, I, I get him. So, but I want you to see this common theme of his fear as we read, as, as we glance at some of these texts. So first, he's commissioned. Does he, does he just simply believe, this is God speaking to me, I'm going to obey? No, he says, I want a sign. Then if you look down at verse 25, God says, pull down the altar of Baal. Verse 27 it says he was afraid, and so he did it at night. Verse 36, he seeks validation of God's promise by asking for two more signs with the fleece and the dew and all that. Then you jump over to chapter 7, verses 9 and 10. God says, I want you to go to the camp of the Midianites. I want you to spy out what's going on. I want you to hear what's happening there. But if you're scared, take your servant with you. And then verse 11, what does it say? He took a servant with him. He's scared. He, he, he was fearful. He was uncertain. And that's why what's so surprising because you, you see this guy that's the Barney Five of the Old Testament and then you jump over to the New Testament book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 11, the, the hall of faith, and here's what it says there, verses 32 and 33. And what more shall I say, for time shall fail me if I, if I tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets who by faith conquered kingdom, performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, and the text goes on. So here's a man who's plagued with fear. Here's a man who's plagued with uncertainty. He, 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 he's, he's uncertain, he, he, he's fearful, he's timid, and yet he made it to God's honor roll. And I just, I just want to pause here and say, you might be a lot more like Gideon than you are like... David, or, or like Noah. Maybe you're plagued by doubt and fear and uncertainty. You think your weakness of faith disqualifies you from being used by God? And I want to tell you that that's, that's not the case. He can take even a weak faith, and he can use that. He did in the life of Gideon. Now the last thing I want you to see uh, about Gideon today is his request for signs. His request for signs. Now, how do we reconcile, on one hand, Gideon's fearfulness, Gideon's uncertainty? How do we, rec- how do we reconcile? He's, he's always asking for signs from God. And notice, like with the fleece, we, our, our mind naturally says, oh, well, he's just trying to figure out God's will. But if you notice the text, that's not what was going on. Because back in chapter 6, when he was at the, at the wine press... He knew what God's will was. Because God had said, I want you to deliver my people. He knew God's will. What was the purpose of the fleece? Because he wanted confirmation that it was God, God was going to be with him. I know what you want me to do, God, but I'm just not sure you're going to empower me to do it. He's seeking validation that God will be with him. So we have that on one hand, 
And yet on the other hand, we have Hebrews lumping him in with Abraham and Sarah and Noah and Daniel and all these heroes of the faith. How do those things go together? Well, it's certainly not an, an easy question to, to, to answer. A lot of people answer it different ways. Here's, here's, here's my understanding of it. Yes, he was fearful. Yes, he asked for signs from God when he shouldn't have been doing it. Yes, he needed extra encouragement. But despite that, he was obedient to God. He was fearfully obedient. Now, that was early on in his life. Towards the end of his life, he kind of went astray. We didn't look at all that. But the part that we're looking at right now, he is fearfully obedient. Chapter 6, God says, lead the nation. Later in chapter 6, he says, tear down the altar of Baal. Now, even though he was scared and he did it at night, he did it. Later in chapter 6, he, he gets reconfirmation that God's going to be with him. And then we didn't read this part. But then he, he musters all the nation. All these people come, come out to fight with Gideon and his fighting force. Now, understand, he's going against the Midianites. And the Bible says that they're, they're, like, that they're without number. I mean, they just fill up the whole valley like locusts, and their camels are without number. I mean, it, they're, they're like the sand of the seashore. And Gideon starts out with a fighting force of 32,000 people, and when God's done with them, they have 300. And he is going to fight this massive army with 300 guys. And his faith wavered. He says, I'm going to fight an innumerable enemy. With 300 guys. I can't do it. It's impossible. And yet, God said, go down to the camp, and when you, when, when you, when you, when you get there, you'll, you'll, your hands will be strengthened, your faith will be strengthened, you'll be encouraged. And then chapter 7, verse 15, that all has happened. And then verse 15, it says that he mustered the men and went to battle. Yes, he was fearful. Yes, he, he was uncertain. But really, this is the essence of faith. He was trusting God despite the outward appearance of things. Despite what the experts said, despite his, his odds, despite the way things looked on the outside, he was taking God at his word. And so, yes, it was a fearful faith. Yes, it was an uncertain faith. It was an imperfect faith, but it was a faith, and he acted on it. And I want to encourage you today to trust God, to believe him, put your faith in him. Listen, you do that, Doing that is not going to give you a blank check where God's just signed his name and you just fill it, fill it in. And he'll give you anything and everything. God may or may not do what you want the way you want or when you want. But he always does what's right. And he does it on his time. And even if you're fearful, be obedient. Now, just for personal application, think about your own life. Is there an area of your life in which you need to be more faithful? You need, to more, you need to trust God better in that area. Are you fearful? Are you letting that fear hold you back from following God, from trusting Him, from, from being obedient, from, from doing what He's called you to do? Or maybe you're more like Gideon was at the beginning of the text, and you, frankly, you wouldn't say it here at church because it's church. But frankly, if, if you're honest, you might even feel like God has abandoned you. Like he's deserted you. Listen, the Bible says, regardless of what we feel, the Bible says, I will never what? Leave you nor forsake you. Say, but I don't feel 
guess what? You can feel a lot of things. Doesn't make it so. He'll never leave or forsake his people. He's not forgotten you. Jesus said, don't worry about tomorrow, what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what you're going to put on. For, for, for the, the, the unbelieving nations, the, the pagans, they, that's the way they act. That's the way they think. But what does he say? He says, God is watching even over the sparrows, even the birds. And, and, and sometimes I'll sit and I'll watch the birds in the yard. I'm not a bird watcher. You know, some people are nuts about it and they have the binoculars. They go out, I don't do all that. But sometimes I'll just watch them and these birds just hop around from boom, 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 boom. And all of a sudden they'll stop and they'll pick some worm up out of the dirt. And I say, well, how in the world did that bird know to go there to get that worm? Because God's taking care of the birds. If he'll take care of the birds, he'll take care of you, his child. His eyes on the sparrow. He's watching over you as well because Jesus says you're worth a whole lot more than a bunch of birds. He's not abandoned you. Now this has been a text, this has been a message specifically for Christians. Listen, it may be that you're here and you've never, not only are you not trusting Christ on a daily basis to take care of, of, of your daily needs, maybe you've never trusted Christ period, for salvation. And if that's the case, Scripture says that if you will turn to the Lord, if you will repent of your sins, if you'll trust in Christ for salvation, you will be saved. And if you've never done that, do that today. Why don't you stand with me as musicians come? And as you stand, I ask that you bow your heads and close your eyes. And with nobody looking around, I ask you, are you you feeling abandoned by God? Are you feeling like He's taking His hands off of you? He hasn't. Now the Israelites, one of the reasons they felt like that is because God had pulled away from them. More specifically, they pulled away from him, though. He hadn't moved. They were, they were the ones that left him. And it could be that you are not where you need to be with God, and, and maybe that's why you're experiencing the things you are. Again, not always. But certainly sometimes. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the life of Gideon, of this man that was, um, he wasn't a stained glass saint that we can't really relate to. When we put ourselves in, in his place, we can see where he would be fearful and uncertain. And God, I pray that you'd help us as we face uncertainty in our lives. And we all do. We all get nervous. We all waver in our, our trust with our, our, our trust in you and our lack of faith in you. And God, for that person who's struggling with doubt or fear, I pray that you would strengthen them and encourage them and help us all to trust you better. 
And Lord, for that person maybe who's never accepted Christ as their Savior, I pray that you would draw them to yourself and and would save them. And God, I pray that you would help each of us as as we... struggle just in in life the the daily grind that you'd help us even if it's fearful to to, to be obedient Lord for anything else we have in our hearts we ask that you do your will in Jesus name Amen